Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another edition. Now, on today's program, I'm really excited to bring you somebody that I've uh, met um, online. Um, we've never met in person, but I've looked as much as I possibly can into this person's background because um, when I saw their profile, it immediately made me made me interested. And um, I'm talking to somebody who's uh, currently in Texas. That's their, their home and their base. Um, a gentleman who's been very, very successful in a, I'll use the term former life. Um, he's a former NFL and college football coach. Um, he's spent the last couple of decades, I believe, coaching elite athletes and leaders within top sporting organizations. Um, he's an expert at bringing teams together overcoming adversity, um, getting people to perform at their at their max. I know he's a successful author and um, as a speaker too. So I'd like to introduce you from Texas, Evan Burke. So Evan, welcome to Leader Manager Coach. Rob, thank you so much for having me. Excited to chat with you today. Well, great. Well, as I do with most of my guests, look, this is um, about us being very selfish and, and extracting as much information from you as we can as somebody who's got a, a handle on success. Um, so do you want to just introduce yourself, Evan, and just tell the listeners a little bit about your, your story in terms of how you kind of got to where you are now, really? Sure thing. Uh, so my background is I was a NFL and college coach for 12 years. Uh, and I was fortunate because I was able to coach at every single level, uh, every division level in college, the NFL. And I have a little bit of a unique path to, to how I got to the highest levels of coaching. Um, I'm, I'm not a, a former NFL player. I'm not very intimidating if you were to see me in person. And, and I don't have a dad or any family members that are NFL executives. Uh, so I really had to start from the ground up. And I started as a fourth grade football coach. Uh, and progressed to a high school coach. This was while I was still a student in college. Uh, and then I got an opportunity to, to coach at SMU, uh, followed by the Miami Dolphins, uh, McMurray University, and then also UCLA. So I was very fortunate that I got to coach at every level uh, of, of college athletics. Uh, and after just, I left coach... Just before oh, you go, go on, just, just, just remember where you are, because this is... Is it unusual... And is it very challenging for somebody who hasn't played at a high level as, as, a, as a player and somebody who hasn't got direct connections as a, as a, as a family member or, or a colleague of, of NFL coaches? Is it a difficult and an unusual pathway to, to get into that, Evan? Because it sounds like it. Very much so. And I, I think when I started at 19 years old, I didn't quite understand what the rigorous path would be to accessing these highest levels of college and professional sports. Uh, but I think with anything, it starts with a vision and then also creating your own path and being self-aware enough to know where your strengths are, how people are going to view you and, and how you can best put yourself in a position to have success. And uh, like I said, I started as a fourth grade and a, and a high school coach. 
Um, and when I got my opportunity in college, which I, I was not an on the field coach to start with, I was a uh, volunteer ops assistant passing out Chick-fil-A's as guys would get on the bus. Uh, you you build on each experience and, and your experiences uh, start to add up and build the foundation for whatever is going to be next on your journey. And uh, that's what I really think of my path is I was able to, to make a lot of steps going from fourth grade football to the NFL in six years. Uh, but each year was a was a small progression or a series of small progressions and improvements in both my knowledge of the game and also my advancement in the profession. And, and I think like with anything, uh, you know, for me, I wasn't a former player. I I'm uh, not an intimidating presence, like I said. And so I knew how I was going to come off if people saw me. Uh, so I, I combated that with uh, just a relentless work ethic and, and really kind of trying to put myself in the position where uh, regardless of what position I had or where I was, is, is that I was going to leave a mark and, and leave it so um, that the the staff felt that I was so valuable, um, e- either in my absence or or while I was still there. Did you suffer from something? I don't know whether they say this in the in the US, but we call it imposter syndrome. Yes, <laughs> we we have that in the US, and it's very real. And I think close to I, I would be shocked if there are people that don't. Um, suffer from this even at the highest levels of any performance-driven industry. And I think that there is a little bit of knowing that you're a a kind of an outsider, just not only um, by your background, but just when you look around, the majority of coaches, especially in American football, are sons of coaches or former players. And, And I would say, and this is kind of just throwing this out there, maybe like 90 plus percent of the the people that constitute football football coaches and so I knew that I had to learn fast and and I had to make myself an asset in whatever role that I was going to have and and I think that even as you're progressing you uh if you're a high achiever and I suffer from this it's like uh, I set goals and then I achieve them but I'm not really great at celebrating achieving those goals, I'm always kind of looking to what's next. And so I think a little bit of me, uh, even as I was able to go very quickly from uh, amateur ranks, high school, uh, the the high level college, I was still kind of trying to find my way and, and trying to see where I fit in. And quite honestly, it's tough because a lot of you're, you're kind of seen a little differently. And maybe some people don't quite know uh, what you're about or, or kind of like why you're here if you're not, if you don't have this legacy in football or if you didn't play. Um, and, and so I think a little bit of that uh, kind of bled into my own uh, self-image uh, as I progressed through coaching. So um, definitely was susceptible to that and experienced it as well. I talk about you walk into a dressing room full of testosterone and you have 20, 30 sets of eyes looking at you, watching you like a hawk, Evan. And one thing is for certain, they cannot be fooled. So how do you remember something like that? And 
the question marks around credibility, which relates to the previous question and how you overcame that. Was it just this relentless work ethic? And do you remember thinking things like, I've, I've got to, I've got to get these guys on side so they actually believe that I'm the real deal. They know who I am, and they trust me. Do you remember those kind of thoughts? Sure thing. And I think that what you're alluding to is something that I feel very passionately about, especially in my work with leaders and coaching them, is being authentic, and and being authentic with who you are, um, and. I was very purposeful on, I wasn't trying to be anybody that I wasn't, especially as I started to progress and I got into college and the, and the pro ranks. I think early on, I can remember distinctly coaching high school football. I was still uh, at 20, 21 years old. I was still in college and I can remember being very tough on my players because I had had a wrestling coach that had had a big impact on me. And that's how he operated. He was a very tough coach. He set high standards. He was not one to pat you on the back very often. He was very quick um, to hold everybody to those high standards. And that's what I was trying to be early in my career. Uh, and I can remember distinctly working with a, a young athlete. This athlete was maybe 14 years old at the time and made a comment to me about how the whole team could tell that I cared about them. I was there every day. I was very prepared, but like I was never positive with them. And, and that was not really me. I was trying to do my best to emulate coach Ortega, my high school wrestling coach, who I had great respect for, but I'm not coach Ortega. I'm not coaching wrestling and I don't have his experiences behind me. And that was a very profound moment for me in my career. And I really made kind of the determination as I progressed from uh, high school going into college, that I was going to be a positive teacher in terms of my my coaching style, um, and at the same time hold myself and my team to high standards. Um, so I, I think those are lessons that you have to learn as a young coach, and I think that authenticity is important. And I think as I progress through the ranks of college and, and professional football. That was something I was very intentional about, making sure that um, I was uh, I, I was being authentic. And then the other piece to that is preparing for those moments, preparing for those moments when you're on the field, preparing for those moments when you have to teach uh, or, or or do a, a scouting report on the other team. Uh, I, I don't come with a huge background of, of innate knowledge of playing at the highest level. So I had to prepare myself for those opportunities. Uh, and very similar to, like I said before, those experiences start to add up. You gain more confidence as a coach. Uh, and I think that's how I kind of combated the imposter syndrome and, and maybe some of the perception uh, around me early on. It's a great chat. I could talk about this and nothing else, but we'll move on in a second. But um, so you're, if I've got this right, Evan, you're saying to me that you are admitting that because of your journey, there were people there who were, there are people out there with a greater depth of technical knowledge of the game than you. But you, by being authentic, brought something else to the table which was genuinely you because 
I think this leads us to the phrase, there's more than one way to skin a cat, you know? that. Um, so that's that's about right, yeah? To sum it up, that you, yes, you might not have to be the greatest technical wizard in the world, but there are other things you bring to the table. And one of the other words you used there was care. And um, in, in football or soccer, um, as we call it, we we have very much that you have and still at the moment you still have this archetype of tough loud positive assertive stroke aggressive testosterone driven figure as a leader when actually there are so many different types of leadership and I think you're actually living proof that you know you recognize so much more than trying to be somebody else and if it's not you it's not going to work anyway Evan yeah absolutely I, I could also talk about this all day long but I think if you were to ask people that coached with me or that played under me none of them would say that I was the most technically advanced coach that they ever worked with uh, but I think one of the things they would cite would be my work ethic and my relentless passion uh, for doing things at a high level. And um, that was kind of what I wanted to be really one of my stamps that I left in, in whatever team I was on and, and whoever I coached. What, what was your, if you can answer it, what was your drive to be successful? in the NFL? What, what was it? Was it anything you can put your finger on? I, I can remember early on when I first started citing the, the fourth grade football team I was mentioning earlier, I, I was taking a class in college and I had a professor that really did a great job of challenging. And I think I was uh, 18, 19 years old at the time, but challenging the way that I thought about success. I had always thought about success in terms of money and advancing every uh, year, year and a half. And she was really somebody who for the first time in, I guess my life had kind of challenged me to define what success. Oh, so success is making a million dollars getting uh, promoted every 18 months. Uh, and I think like in that self-reflection at, at that time in my life, I really wanted to go down a path where I wanted to pursue something I was really passionate about. I always cared about sports. I, I was not the greatest athlete growing up without question, but I was, I was very passionate always about uh, leadership and about sports. Um, I was the captain of my uh, high school wrestling team and football team, the sports that I played in high school. Um, and again, I wasn't the most talented, but uh, I, I always took great pride in leadership. And I think in that moment, as a young university student, I kind of had this vision that I wanted to be the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys or for the University of Colorado was the school that I attended for my undergraduate. Uh, and that really kind of started. And like I mentioned, I didn't know anybody in the profession. I didn't know where to start. So I started literally at the bottom by just starting to coach that fourth grade football team. And we weren't great, by the way, Rob, we were, we were and six that season, but um, we had one hell of a pizza party at the end of the year, which 
if you know anything about fourth grade football, that's really the only thing that matters. So um, that was a long winded answer, but uh, I, I think that for me, uh, it was just kind of early on kind of determining what I really wanted to pursue. Uh, and I still had a great passion for sports, even though I wasn't playing in college and, and kind of led to my decision to start coaching while I was still a student. What kind of things, Evan, if it's not a silly question, did you immerse yourself in? So as you've decided to pursue this path, you've had a bit of a realization that w- what success is, you recognize that technically that might not be your you know you're not you, you've not won the nfl as a player you're not you've not got a hall of fame that people are going to go wow you know this guy is is the golden boy of the nfl um so you've had to you've had to work and, and work your way up what did you immerse yourself in in terms of literature or, or study or mentors in order to guide you through those those times you know it's funny i I was going through some old notebooks of mine and I'm a meticulous note taker. I love taking notes. I have them all digitally organized. Uh, And this started very early on in my coaching career where I would write basically recaps of the games to myself and, and things that happened in the game. And then also coaching points for myself to reflect on. And uh, in those notes, I came across a lot of Bill Parcells and Bill Parcells was the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys at the time that I was in college. He, he had obviously been extremely successful as a, an NFL Hall of Fame coach. Uh, and I used to listen to his press conferences every day uh, in the early days of the Internet, 2002, 2003, um, and, and have a lot of notes from from that time. And I think he was somebody I looked up to early on. Um, and really just starting to kind of fall in love with the game and the element of leadership within sports teams uh, and, and also kind of a continual personal development for myself too, right? Like I can remember reading a book called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, mm-hmm. uh, which was really kind of, uh, I think, again, I was, in, I was in college, but I can remember that being really the first book that I read that had a profound impact. Do your best. Yes. Always do your best. Yes. Um, and uh, don't t- take things personally, uh, which is something that, you know, I still have to remind myself. Um, I and that. I think we all, we all, we all do. So um, those were kind of like the big pieces early on in my coaching career. And I think like, as I progressed, it was definitely mentors that you, that you get. And, and, you work with, but there's also two elements to that. There's kind of seeing things that maybe you don't like in your own coaching or you don't like in other coaching styles. And then there's also seeing people that align with you uh, where you may not get along with all 10 coaches on a staff, but there might be two people on that staff that are your guys or your girls or whoever. Um, And it was like, as I started to progress and see that there were people like me that thought the same way as me, those people also started to have a big impact on, on me and the way that I thought. Um, And I think a lot of times about, you know, the quote, you are the books you read and the people you hang around with. Um, And I think like, as I started to progress and identify those types of books and those types of people that I wanted to emulate, uh, I, I started to grow as well in my coaching and in my personal development. Do you remember a particularly dark time in your journey where you doubted and you thought you, you had a 
we call them having a nightmare or having a torrid time where it was just you were felt out of your depth or it was falling apart or it wasn't working? Do you remember anything of that nature that you could share that might be really, you know, be illustrative? I can. And I probably have more episodes or experiences than we have time to share. But it's really interesting how when I really have been in the past at those depths, it it always precedes a huge leap forward. And I can remember being a high school coach and wanting to stay at that high school and being told that they were going to hire somebody else for the job that I was going after. And that felt terrible. But out of that, I was able to get a job in college. Uh, And then I was in college and I had been at a place for four years that I really felt at home. And it actually was home. It was five. It was here in Dallas. It was five minutes from where I grew up. And I was hoping to stay there and finish my graduate degree and was informed after my fourth year that I was not returning the next year. Uh, And that those depths in that one in particular uh, spurred me to get a job in the NFL. Um, and, uh, one time when I was in the NFL, I was not really being utilized. And uh, I can remember one evening calling one of my good friends who I coached with, uh, and kind of sharing with him that I I really felt like I wasn't being utilized and I felt kind of worthless in my role. Uh, and he was very encouraging to me. Uh, and, and shortly thereafter, uh, there was there was some movement on the staff midseason, and I was elevated uh, to a much more important role than I could have ever imagined uh, before that b- b- before that season had started. And so, uh, I, I think it's just a good reminder that uh, a lot of times those moments are kind of built not to, not to really make you, but to kind of show what what you're all about. Um, and it can be tough in in the moment. Um, but but I, I've definitely experienced a lot of kind of those those depths, as as you have said, along the journey. Do you remember doing anything that you can remember scared you, like thinking, I'm frightened of doing this? Um, do you ever remember that, stepping into something that you were worried about or worried? I don't I don't quite know, but I know that there have been a lot of situations along the way where I've put myself in situations where I'm forced to grow. And um, I can remember early on at my time at SMU. And like I said, I knew nothing about football. I had just coached freshmen and fourth grade football. SMU uh, SMU is Southern Methodist University. It's a division one school here in Dallas, Texas. Um, and, uh, a coach was, of course I was wanting to be involved with the coaching staff and the game planning, but I I didn't have knowledge. And, uh, quite honestly, they didn't know me. And I can remember one day in particular, a coach was looking for his assistant to go draw up a a bunch of plays on the computer. Couldn't find him. and just kind of turned to me and said, Hey, can you do this? Well, I had never used this computer program before. I didn't know how to use it. Um, but of course I said, oh yeah, coach, I've got that. Absolutely. And, um, so he gave me his, you know, stack of sheets. I spent the rest of the day kind of holed up in the computer teaching myself, uh, this program because I was, I was thirsting for those moments. I wasn't going to let the fact that I didn't know 
how to use this computer program stop me from trying to be a valuable asset to this coach. Uh, and, you know, we're not talking, you know, this is part of, you know, I know we're going to talk about my book later, but this is kind of part of uh, what uh, disturbs me about, I guess, the hiring process in any corporate environment or in sports. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, uh, Evan doesn't know how to use that computer software. And like, you need to know how to use this computer software to, to be in this role. Okay, well, you know, it's not 1987. Um, you know, I've grown up with a computer uh, my entire life. I know how to use a computer. If you, if you give me a week, I'm going to figure it out. And, um, you know, again, like I wanted to figure it out. I wanted to be an asset. So, of course, I was going to find a way to figure that out. And, and you know, I think that uh, those are the tough things to measure. Like, how much does this person actually care? A lot of people that may not have been as passionate about coaching or, or being an asset to a coaching staff may have just been like, oh, yeah, I don't know how to do that. I'm not, I don't want to do that. Uh, but to me, I, I really uh, craved those opportunities and I wasn't getting them early on. So I, I just wanted to say yes to anything, even if it meant <laughs> teaching myself an entire uh, software program. I want to move on to your book because I think your book will, will bring out quite a lot of things, Evan. And um, as soon as I saw the title, uh, I was I was fascinated. I thought there's more to this guy than meets the eye. Um, finding intangibles. And um, tell us about the title um, and, and the intangibles, because obviously that's the... the <laughs> The, the theme through the book is this intangibles. Um, so just if you don't mind, Evan, uh, I'm really interested in to, to find out more about what was behind that. I, I think that this, this book really was like a culmination of what I had experienced my whole career. And I can remember very early on being in those recruiting rooms uh, as a college coach and nobody even talking about a recruit's family, their work ethic, everything we talked about was a measure technical. technical. He he plays this position. He's never played this other position. He's got uh, size 10 shoes. Uh, his shoulders are narrow. Uh, all of these things that, yes, we can sit there, we can talk about it. That can be part of that person's evaluation and story. But we never talked about these other things that I always felt were very important. I, I want, I wanted, if I was going to be a head coach, I want a team of character. I want a team of guys that are going to work hard um, and hold themselves high standards. And so that started early on in my career, but I didn't know. I, I was learning everything for the first time. I just thought that was something that we should be talking about, yeah. but I didn't know. Yeah. And I think as I progressed in my career, and as I said, I met people that were aligned with me and my thinking. And I think also, as you start to look at some of the best teams in sports, it's never the most talented team that wins. It's, it's usually the team with the most character that wins. And I think that this has been uh, something that I've been very passionate about. I, I ended up writing my master's dissertation on the recruiting processes in college athletics, specifically around how to evaluate people. And in my book, I talk about evaluating the person and the player. And I think it's a really important distinction. 
And you see this on all great teams. And this is not to say that everybody that has success or every team that has success is all character and no talent. We, we know that there are exceptions made. We know that that's not always the case, but there is a, there is a, a, a accumulating effect of acquiring character in, in players with intangibles. And I think there's also uh, a, a cascading effect that happens uh, among the people within a locker room specifically. So the intangibles are the things like work ethic, passion, drive, being a good teammate, being likable, um, holding yourself to high standards, uh, somebody that will not give in to complacency, uh, on and on and on, all of these unseen traits. And I think that a lot of times in coaching in particular, we overlook these things because they can't be measured. Mm. Uh, but they can be measured. They can't be measured uh, quantitatively, but they can be measured qualitatively. And that was really kind of the point of the book and, and really my, my extreme interest and curiosity over the last decade, uh, 15 years or so, is how do you find these traits? What are the traits that you most want on your team? Uh, and, and why should we, should we want to build teams of character? Uh, I know that you, this is mentioned in your book. The two things that immediately come to mind listening to you are um, the Moneyball story. And the phenomenon that was Moneyball and Captain Class um, by, I think it was Dan Walton. I think I forgot the name right. Um, that book, the second one, blew me away. It was one of the most, it hit me, you know, I couldn't put it down. That that book, it was so, so nailed on. And, and there's a lot of what you're talking about, Evan, that that is, is within that book as well, if I'm not mistaken. Is, is that something that you've, you know, you, you, you recognize? Well, first of all, I'm I'm flattered that you would mention those two books uh, in the same sentence as mine. Obviously, I've I've read those both multiple times, and and big fans of both of those authors. Um, I, I think a lot of times when I'm trying to explain it to somebody in one sentence, I say it's Moneyball, but for character instead of data analytics. Mm. And I think that's an important distinction right now because 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when Moneyball was written, nobody had data. But now everybody, got everything. No everybody has anymore. data. There are no, there are no secrets, and well. I really think that, <laughs> to, right. to a certain extent, uh, the the new competitive advantage, the next competitive advantage for teams is character, and uh, specifically to to what you were talking about with Captain Class, and and for the audience that's not familiar, it kind of talks about the lineage of or, or tracing back the truly elite great teams in sport over the last 50, 60 years and identifying this, this uh, common piece in all of them that they had a singular captain on that team. Uh, and, and yes, very much to what you were just saying, like, I believe that that's important. I believe if you have a leader, even if that leader is not your best player on the team, that that leader has an effect on everybody and is able to elevate the performance uh, and, and also other things that you really need. Um, you know, Tom Brady, obviously, you know, talked about in the, in the captain class and, and we're all, if we're sports fans, we're familiar with Tom Brady uh, when he joined Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay was an average football team. 
and they've got talented players and they sign a couple of older guys, but they bring in Tom Brady and there's multiple quotes of players kind of talking about the effect that Tom Brady had. And none of them talk about, wow, it was so great to have like a quarterback that could throw a perfect spiral, uh, you know, 30 yards down the field. None of them talk about that. They all talk about when he walked in the room and we started to see how he took notes, how he worked, how he took care of his body. It made me change my approach. And there's story after story of that, um, of his time in Tampa Bay. And obviously we're picking out the, the greatest player, but I think part of his story, and I think you could make the argument for any great player is a huge part of their story is the intangibles. No, absolutely. And um, it, your book and your, what you're talking about here, Evan, is a beautiful piece of the jigsaw for me personally, I'm very, it's very autobiographical for me to say that because it's what I'm interested in, but it is a beautiful piece of the jigsaw. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, and I think, you know, that this is a really valuable piece for for this evolution of success in, in sports and life um, because it is not yet expanded. And I think you've kind of taken it to another to another level and, it, and it's you know the way you've described it and the word intangibles and bringing things together I think it's it, it's it's necessary and um, I feel it's right at the cutting edge so I just want to look you know <laughs> I'm just another guy but I'm, I'm congratulating you on it you know and, and I'll hold my hand up and said look I've not been through it fully but I've just been through it and I you know blimey I think it's it, it's brilliant so um, I'm really hoping it's a an outstanding success and I'm sure it will be because um, it fills a massive void for me and um, I think it's the next step. Um, the other thing that interests me is you devote at the beginning of it, um, to, uh, you voted to your mum and dad, um, which is a lovely thing to do. And um, what kind of influence did they have on you, Evan? An incredible, profound influence. I was very fortunate. I always you know, it, we talk about it amongst our cousins uh, and my siblings is that, you know, we were very lucky to have been born into an amazingly loving family. Um, and, and that I will always be grateful for. And I think that one of the things that I believe is that my parents, who are not athletic, either of them, <laughs> have very little interest in sports outside of their, their sons playing sports and being interested in them. Uh, taught me everything I needed to know about coaching. Beautiful. What a, and listen, it's just great. And I, and I feel very strongly about that. And I had an extreme model of work ethic uh, throughout my family. And so when I started coaching and I was working 80 hours a week and seven days a week, um, and that was what was expected. Work always comes first. Um, and that was just something that was ingrained in me very, when I was very young, uh, I can remember even on the weekends growing up, my mom Saturday morning breakfast, like, what are we going to get accomplished today? Let's get one thing accomplished today. Uh, and that can just be a very subtle thing for a eight, 10 year old, yeah. uh, boy or him and his brother, uh, just focusing on cereal and cartoons. Uh, but that was always present was um, the, the importance of work ethic and putting in the time and 
I, I think also the way that I deal with people uh, that has has a large, um, I, I owe a debt of gratitude to my parents. So they've just been an, an incredible source of strength and inspiration in my life. And it seemed fitting for my first book to, to put them on the first page. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And you said, uh, I could almost sum it up just saying that they they didn't know the first thing about coaching, but they taught you everything you need to know about coaching. You couldn't say anything better, Evan, than, than that. And I'll, I'll, maybe that's a great title for this podcast interview. Um, but yeah, fantastic. So I take it then you've got plans for another book or a second one or, or something else, or are you kind of just formulating that? I mean, it's early days yet because I know this one's not, you know, just come out this year. So what, yeah, you got plans for, for more writing? Absolutely. I, you know, it's funny because I've been thinking about this book for a long time and I've always known, as I, as I mentioned before, I've, I keep a ton of notes uh, and I've always known that I had a book in me. And I think that this writing process really kind of lit a fire under me. And, and I, I definitely have some ideas uh, for other books. Um, a lot of it is in line with the coaching and speaking that I do. Uh, I speak a lot to performance-driven teams on motivation and, and, and building winning cultures and leadership. And, and I think all of this ties together. And uh, there's a lot of things that I have a copious amount of uh, notes on and, and that uh, I've already started thinking about uh, future books. But uh, it, it definitely was kind of a uh, put my head down and grind at the, at the end of last year, beginning of this year to kind of get it done. And um, uh, trust me, if I can do it, uh, anybody can do it. Uh, it just took me like I had to set my own boundaries and say, OK, by this date, like got to have it done. So um, it, it, it was a it was a very interesting process. And also, I'll, I'll mention this too, Rob. It was something that I've been thinking about intangibles and how to find them specifically uh, for a long time. And I've done a lot of research and I've talked to a lot of very, very good coaches and recruiters and evaluators on this specific subject. And the writing process actually helped me further understand things that I thought I knew mm -hmm. very well before, but the writing process really kind of clarified maybe uh, w w things that I needed to understand more fully as I, as I went through the process. So I, I thought not only was it, it's nice to accomplish that, but it was also really beneficial for me to understand this topic that I care really uh, deeply about even further. I've heard that you should write a book for yourself, not for other people. And, and you've, you've nailed that because you think you know something and actually having to go through the process laboriously and with the enormous discipline of actually formulating it into the correct sentences and paragraphs and words and rephrasing it and thinking deeply about your subject uh, opens up things that, you know, you didn't realize you didn't know, you know, we, none of us know what we don't know, do we? It's that kind of thing, isn't it? And it's a great, you <laughs> You know, you've you've nailed that one as well, mate. So, um, yeah, I, I'm sure. So you're obviously a, a, an in-demand speaker. You've got your book out. Um, you're totally humble about your career. Have you have you finished your coaching now? Is it something that you are still doing? Are you going to go back? Have you got other plans? What's you know what's um, what's in it for Evan now? Kind of thing coming up. 
Well, I think coaching on the football field is kind of maybe potentially a closed chapter for me. I say potentially because you never know, but my, my main focus is uh, coaching uh, in a different aspect. And, you know, I think any coach, uh, and I definitely feel this way that my whole career has been about developing people. And I, I even now get, fired up when I'm working with a company or an individual uh, and, and creating and designing a, a development path, whether it's helping a first-time leader uh, gain confidence and, and create their own coaching framework, mm-hmm. or whether it's developing uh, the people within a company uh, to, to be more resilient and, and achieve peak performance I really like that process of developing people. And mm-hmm. that's where a lot of my work over the last few years has focused um, is developing coaching programs or development programs uh, for companies and leaders. And, and obviously there's speaking involved in that too. Uh, and, and I enjoy that part as well, but you know, we all get into coaching, I'm sure for, for reasons of wanting to be around people and, and, and developing people. That's, that's probably part of, a lot of people's desire to get in coaching. And so um, that that's something that I'm definitely still passionate about. And if you can't tell, I, I do have, uh, I, I do like to talk. So um, speaking kind of uh, fits um, with sharing my message as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, obviously, yes, I want to be humble, but I do think that there is uh, some good lessons in terms of my story, just because of starting from the bottom and, and not really having any type of a pedigree, so to speak, to, to be on these high level college and, and professional teams and, and still being able to navigate that path. So um, I, I really love sharing it with audiences that, um, that, that find value in that message. It's really inspiring, Evan, because there are so many young coaches out there who haven't had glittering playing careers in, in the world of, of football or soccer, as we call it. And, um, yeah, it, yours is so inspiring. This is going to be great. People are going to who who hear this are going to be truly inspired, and um, rightly so as well. It, it's wonderful. And um, blimey, in forty five minutes, you've kind of given me so much stuff to share. Um, if you, I'm going to ask you a, a few questions that just quick by ones. If you had to name, I mean, you've already named one, one in one specifically. The best book you've ever read is the one that you could put your your finger on and go, that was that was the best one I've ever read, or is, is there too many? Uh, the one that stands out to me and that I wish I had read at the very beginning of my coaching career or been introduced when I was in high school is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. And very similar to like I mentioned with my parents before, I think it's a book that covers nearly every aspect of business and life and uh, uh, probably the book that I lean on the most when it comes to my own development and, and uh, re- reading for that purpose. Yeah. One of the absolute all time classics from, I don't know, I don't, I don't know when it was first published, but um, you know, Dale Connie. The twenties, the thirties. I mean, amazing, eh? a hundred yeah. years ago. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And everything, amazing. by the way, everything still holds true to this day. Yeah, and I still, te- I still teach on the, the teachings in that book. So um, yeah, the absolute best. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You've already mentioned um, a, a specific lady that, that influenced you in terms of 
I think you said she redefined success for you or pointed you into a redefinition of success. Who Who's the person that you would kind of say, that person really, really took me to a different place and, and had such an influence on me? Would it be that person or is it somebody else or is there a number of them? So the, the person I was referring to was Professor Susan Heinsroth at University of Colorado. And you're right. She challenged my assumptions on what success could be uh, and didn't define it for me, really just kind of challenged me mm. to define, define it for myself, mm. which I think is a very powerful thing from, from a teacher. And, and I would say the other person is also a teacher, uh, Dr. Charlotte Barner at SMU uh, mm. in the MBA program. Uh, we worked together on my master's thesis, and uh, she has become a friend uh, since then, and really um, somebody that I look up to. And I think, you know, in, in talking about the book, she really kind of inspired me. We worked together on the initial uh, uh, master's thesis on kind of the talent acquisition process and finding these intangibles and and she's always been somebody that has uh, encouraged me, much like uh, Professor Heinzroth, to redefine what I think is possible. And I think also giving me the confidence to, you know, we talked about imposter syndrome. Uh, and I think that anybody has somebody that they lean on, um, either for guidance uh, or, or sometimes just to give them maybe a little bit of confidence. And uh, I, I've been very blessed not only to be around great football coaches and some great players, but but also some absolutely fabulous teachers as well. Mm. No, it, it's great. It's wonderful stuff. So, look, I I think I've listen. I try and really be really respectful of people's time, Evan, and um, you know I try and keep things within within an hour and um we're kind of getting towards that and you've absolutely rampacked you know i thought i didn't think i'd get anywhere near asking you all these questions um what is it about sports teams that is is different than than other walks of life if that's not a silly question is there something for you that that makes sports teams so so unique um, or do you think that they're just a mirror of all the niches of life? I, I think both. And that's that's not a cop-out answer. I think, number one, one of the big differences in sports is it's on display for everybody all the time. And you are judged very, very frequently, uh, specifically games. And that's very uncommon in life, I think. I think if you get into business or, or just progress through life, you know, you don't have a game twice a week or every week uh, where, where you're measuring yourself against your competition. You're measuring yourself against the competition a quarter at a time, excuse me, like a three-month quarter at a time, yeah. a so year at a time. You're putting yourself into this cauldron of judgment whereby you say, okay, right, all the thousands of people and the people who pay my wages, go and judge me twice a week. And um, that's what you're saying compared to, you know, running a business, which obviously it's got its pressures, but maybe not as frequently. Yeah. 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 But, but I also think on the other side that it's a mirror of life, uh, especially if you operate in a highly competitive environment. 
And I think that the reason why we love sports so much is because it's about the human condition. You, you, you see people losing and then having to get up from that loss. Uh, you see people having success and having to handle that success all of these things that you're going to have to do in your own life, right? In your own relationships and in your own business. And I see a ton of parallels. Uh, You know, anybody that starts on a career path is going to have to develop on that career path, just like you do in sports. Uh, You know, how do you do that? Well, you have to self-evaluate. You have to hold yourself to high standards. You have to pull from different resources to continue to develop your skills. Uh, All of these things are things that you do in sports, maybe on a more truncated timeline, but these are all transferable skills. And, and even though they might exist in different worlds, they're all on the same highway, so to speak. So um, I, I, I didn't mean to kind of give you a non-answer there. I think that there's aspects that are reflected in, in life and, and others that are kind of unique to sports as well. No, I, I wasn't, it was a bit of a, it's always a little bit of a, uh, I don't know. It's a question that, that you've answered better than most. Um, because I actually agree with you that it's a mirror of life because of, of you know, that, that you have to learn to deal with adversity in life because it's, it is adverse. Life is adverse. Um, and I, I, I look at it like there's less great, there's less great times in terms of, you know, you don't win a trophy every two months, you win a trophy, maybe every two or three seasons, if you're lucky, if you're the best. Yeah. And, um, so I think it's a great mirror for life and, um, I'm passionate myself, Evan, about how sport and being involved in sport teaches uh, and I don't want to exclude the female sex because I've worked mainly with the boys, but obviously it teaches people to be successful in life because of the principles that are in. That's that's how I see it. So I'm just always interested in what, you know, somebody like you has worked at the top level, how you see it. And I always say the sport's just the bait um, because if you come out the end of it, the other end is a better person. That That's that's it for me. That's how I see it. But, um, you know... <laughs> Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I think you hit on something really big. I, I talk about this in the book where people should value previous success over previous experience. And wow. this is also true in life and especially like the, the corporate hiring practice. Oh, well, we need somebody with five to seven years of experience doing this. Uh, what about somebody that has not done that, but has had really great success in another arena? Does that provide any value? Now, there's also, you know, you need to have a certain talent and skill level. Like that's, that's kind of an acknowledgement that we all need to make. But past that, what type of things are you looking for? And, and the book is kind of one part talking about why character and intangibles are important. And the other part is talking about how do you find them? And you mentioned it a moment ago, looking at people that have had adversity and not just pure histories of success. You know, this goes back to growth mindset, uh, which is another book, um, Carol Dweck's mindset, um, uh, which really was kind of one of the pieces that really got me thinking specifically about writing this book. Because as I was reading that book, I, my first thought was I should have read this book when I was 20 years old, 
Uh, not when not when I was 33 years old. But the other thought that I had was these are all the traits that all of the great players have. That, that growth mindset, that ability to fail, 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 and continue to get up and, and continue to, to improve, uh, to not let themselves get complacent, to not think that they've made it. Uh, and that's one of the big pieces that you see uh, with really great teams that kind of falter is they just go get a bunch of talent. And, you know, they lose that hunger. They lose that other dimension that maybe helped elevate them to that certain level. Um, and so I, I think a lot of times we lose sight of the fact that having success previously, regardless of the arena, has tremendous value uh, versus just having been in that arena before. Um, Tom Brady just announced that he's going to come back, but I guarantee you, whatever Tom Brady does after football, he's going to have a tremendous amount of success. Uh, it's just how he's built. Uh, and I think that's why athletes are so sought after in the, in the hiring market as well. Yeah, it's a great, and another, it's another great nugget, Evan. Um, it's just, we just need to educate the hirers, the people who hire people to be brave and courageous and to, to step off their track. But I suppose if everybody stepped off the track and was brave, it wouldn't be brave anymore, would it? So, um, yeah, it's great, mate. Listen, you've been absolutely amazing. Um, I, I'm passionate about your book. I'm, I'm definitely going to troll through that. And it's, I'm sure it's going to be a favorite on my shelf. Um, if anybody wants to find out about your work, Evan, and, and you know, getting you into their arena so you can help them. Um, you got a website, yeah? I do. My website is www.coachevanburke.com. Okay. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on all social media at Coach Evan Burke. And uh, you can find my book on Amazon. And uh, as you said, the title is Finding Intangibles. And uh, I also host a, a sports podcast as well called The Highest Level. Um, talking wow. to, to sports leaders and, and talking about building championship teams. Brilliant. Evan, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's been absolutely jam-packed with everything that Leader Manager Coach stands for. And um, there's going to be some happy people listening to this. So um, thank you ever so much, my friend. And um, I really appreciate it. Rob, thank you. This was great and uh, really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me on. 